was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get into God's Word and let's pray. Father, we thank you. I don't want to say that too lightly. Father, we thank you. We know you're God. We know you're Creator. We know you are absolute in your power. We know you're absolute in your authority. We know that you are awesome in your, in your glory and your holiness. But all of those things are contained in you're our Father. You paid so dearly so that you could have us as your children. May our eyes be opened, our ears be opened, and our hearts be opened to receive your fatherhood into our lives. And as we receive it, enable us to give it. So our Father this morning, thank you today for the goodness that we sang to you of how good you've been to every one of us. And in many ways, we may not realize how good you've been, but the fact that we're alive, the fact that we're in Christ, the fact that we have an eternal destiny with you is absolute evidence of your goodness in our lives. If nothing else went right, we would sing of your goodness forever. So we thank you. And now we turn to your word, Father, because you placed us here at such a time as this for your purposes. You placed us alive in Christ at this era, this time that's so dangerous, that's so challenging, but you put us here, and you put us here for a purpose, and you've put us here in Faith Christian Center for a part of that purpose. And so we ask you to continue to help us to open our eyes of our understanding to see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ. And may your word today encourage us, strengthen us, and challenge us. And as always, we rely on your precious Holy Spirit to guide us as we teach and guide us as we share, that we would only share your heart, only share your word, and only share your will today. And for that, I rely on the Holy Spirit and we all rely on the Holy Spirit to, to deposit in our hearts what each one of us needs today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Last week I began a message, which I hope I end today. Uh, and we, we based it on, a, on the river of life. Yeah, I guess, we, I don't know, D2L is dismissed. And also, jumpstart, you're, you're welcome to stay, but you're going to be better off if you go with your class. So, uh, thank you. Um, also, uh, I began a series or a message, and I'm going to continue it today. Uh, and I read out of Ezekiel, where, um, and I said at the beginning that there's some messages, and past, different pastors, even within a church, have different gifts and different personalities, and God uses the giftings and the personalities that He puts in us. And there are different types of messages. There's plain, simple teach. Simple is not a good word. They're plain, and plain is not a good word. Back up again, John. <laughs> they're just teaching messages, and those are necessary. There are preaching messages which inspire us and challenge us, encourage us. And then there are combinations of those messages. But then there's some messages that are prophetic that very often will come from the, the, the person, the senior person, or the person that God has put with the ultimate authority over in the church, not over the church. That's Christ. And, and, and those messages are prophetic. And by prophetic, it doesn't mean they're a prophet. It doesn't mean, prophetic doesn't always mean foretelling something, but it means it's a, it's a speaking out of God's Spirit over a congregation, over a community. 
God's word spoken out over it. And I think of the, 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 the vision that God gave Ezekiel of the valley of the dry bones, which represented Israel at the time, which was a, a valley in a vision that he saw. Where it wasn't just skeletons. Skeletons is where the bodies are connected to each other. But it was just bones, total disunity, scattered all over the place. And they were dried. They were dried up. There was just no hope of life in them. And God asked the prophet, can these bones live? And the prophet's answer was, <laughs> only you know. And I kind of looked at it at the church today. Because sometimes I look at the church, and I don't just mean us, I mean church, the church. God, can these bones live? Can we ever be effective in the community? And God said to, to, to Ezekiel, prophesy, speak over the bones. And as he did, God's spirit began to move over the bones and cause them to come together and connect where they were supposed to be connected. And then he said, speak over them again and, and sinew and muscle and tendons and ligaments began to form and then skin formed over them, but they were still dead. And then God said, speak over them again. And as he did, the Spirit of God filled them up and they began to stand up as a mighty army. And I, don't believe, I believe that's not just prophecy over Israel, but it's over the church today. So this is that, still that kind of message, but this is the other side of it. So last week we took another vision that God gave Ezekiel and gave you some background on it. I'm not going to spend that time this morning. And it was a valley, it was a vision of a temple that was to be created because at the time Israel or the, the southern nation of Judah was in captivity in Babylon. And, the, and the Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had burned the temple. And after that, 70 AD, the Romans destroyed it. And then, and then, but God is giving them a hope, a vision that there's going to be a new temple and that we're going to read a little bit again about this this morning. And then God showed him the visions by having a messenger taking him around. And then at the end, God, this messenger showed him a river, a stream that came out of the eastern side of this temple, out of the altar, and it flowed out into the ocean. And, and as it flowed out, it got deeper and deeper and deeper. And he said it started out ankle deep, then it went knee deep, and then it went waist deep, and eventually it got out so they had to swim. And wherever that river went, it produced life. It brought whatever was dead alive. And there again, God is prophesying over Israel that it's going to come alive again and that it will bring life. But he's speaking of the church, and I believe that prophecy is of a revival that is yet to come. And we ended last week quoting out of, out of uh, James about the early rain and the latter rain. Because when they had a harvest, they needed the early rain to germinate the seed, and they needed a rain that coming. Boy, do we need rain. We needed a rain coming right before the harvest to complete the, the, the maturing and the ripening of the, of, the, of the crop. And Pentecost, that first explosion of the Spirit of God, bringing the church alive, that was the early rain. But the latter rain hasn't come yet. And we may well be on the verge of it, and there may be parts of the church and other parts of the world that are beginning to experience it. So that's what we talked about, about last week. So today, I want to get into it to, to, well, before we do that, I want to talk about a, a commercial that happened in 1984. Some of you may remember this. And I looked it up the other day. It's, it's three elderly ladies, and what I consider elderly keeps changing every year. Um, so it's a very relative term. 
And they're obviously standing at the, at the, at a counter at a, at a hamburger place. And this is a commercial Wendy's put out. So this is a competitor's counter. And they've ordered a hamburger. And they're examining this big bun, nice and thick and plush bun. And on the outside, this looks like a, a delicious hamburger, everything they've always wanted. And then one of them lifts it up. And there's this tiny little meat patty inside. And there's this little lady who looks up and says, Where's the beef? <laughs> Where's the beef? Where's the beef? And the implication is it's a nice-looking hamburger on the outside, but there's no meat to it. So the title of today's message is, Where's the Beef? We're living in a time when I don't know that I've seen more brokenness in families, in lives, because our culture is falling apart. The government can't solve it. We're coming through two years of a disease, of an epidemic that they keep thinking they've got answers for and it keeps spreading and then we kind of learn to kind of live with it in some ways. But it's still out there destroying. Now I've got a new one coming along. And there's no end to what these may be. And there's, there's pressures and then you've got economic pressures and you've got people dealing. And, so, and, we, and so what our, our fallen instinct is to turn to other things for strength and comfort, like drugs, alcohol, sex outside of marriage, TV, anything to give us some sense of comfort other than turning to the only one who can really give it to us. But I see it in the church. Lives broken, marriages pulled apart, families divided, children that won't talk to their parents, and, and it, sometimes even at younger ages. Things upside down, things, and you wonder, when we sing songs about the chains are broken and fallen away, we sing songs about God's deliverance and Jesus' deliverance. We sing those songs and we jump and shout and go back into a live, a family maybe, a community, even in a church. But where's the beef? If we sing about those things, are they real? Or are we just singing songs in church and learning to live out there a divided life? There's a term that people have out in the world called streetwise where you learn to live one way at home and another way out on the streets. And Edwin Lewis Cole, a number of years, says, but there's a church-wise, too, where kids grew up knowing how to act in church and talk in church, and we know how to do that, but we go out in the world and leave those doors as if we just leave it here because it doesn't have any relevance to out there. But that's not what Jesus came for. So we're going to look at today, where is the beef? Is there any beef? Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus' commissioning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, that's who we were talking about last week, the river of life. That river of life changed things. That river of life took what was dead and made alive. It brought resurrection power in life where there was death. Where's the beef today? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. The pain in our world today, the pain in families, hurting people hurt other people. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of God to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, the captives, people that are bound up, 
by what Satan has brought loose in their life. And Jesus came anointed by God to bring healing and deliverance to set the captives free and recovery of sight to the blind. Next verse. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus came. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit from God the Father to do these things and we are His body in the earth today. So where's the beef? Where's the power? Paul understood this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 1, he just talked about the Jews seek power, seek signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But God's chosen the things that are foolish to confound the wise. And now in chapter 2, he's going to talk about, but there is a wisdom from God. But before he does this, he gets his, a personal, his own personal testimony here. And I, brethren, when I came to you, could not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring the testimony of God. Stop there a second. Go back to verse 1. Verse 1. No, no. First Corinthians 1, 2. That's it. He could have come with excellence of speech. Paul was very highly educated. He was trained by the leading rabbi of his time. We can see by Paul's writing that he knew how to write well and to speak well. In fact, Peter's testimony about Paul is, there's some things he writes I don't understand. Of wisdom declaring the testimony, I could have come and done that, verse 2. But I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't want to get off on this, but this is the simple message of the gospel. And the church has gotten so distracted today by so many other messages, and Paul refers to them elsewhere as other gospels. The gospel's simple. It's centered around Jesus Christ, who He is, and Jesus Christ crucified for us, and Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And anything that's not centered around that is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a side message. But I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. So wait a minute, go back. Well, I better go on. <laughs> I'll get on a sidetrack. Keep going. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But look what he determined to do. But in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul came with the beef. Demonstration refers to something you can see. As I was meditating on this this morning, getting ready, I, said, I don't think this, they do this anymore. But I remember when we were first married, there used to be um, vacuum cleaner salesmen. And, and they'll knock at your door, unannounced, and you open the door and they're standing there with their product, their vacuum cleaner, and they hope that they can entice you to bring them in. So when they come in, they ask, they, they ask you to get your vacuum cleaner out, and then they take some dirt out and they throw it on your carpet. 
and then they have and then they have you use their carpet to sweep it up or maybe they don't even use dirt they just have you sweep up your carpet and show you what dirt was in it and then they take their car their vacuum cleaner and they sweep where you just swept and they show you what your vacuum cleaner didn't pick up they're demonstrating to you what their vacuum cleaner their product will do and i suggest that the church is here to demonstrate in this world in this world of dirt and of filth what our lord's product will do to demonstrate it put the verse back up again verse 4 in the demonstration notice of the spirit the holy spirit and of power now in our english translations we use one word for power power but in the greek language which this is originally written in there are two basic words one is a word that means authority and the other word that means power and this is that second word and the greek word is dunamis from which we get the word dynamite dunamis refers to god's ability Exousia, the other word, refers to his authority, but this word is the ability of God. So Paul says, I came to you not in persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration, something you can see that is caused by the Spirit and of power, God's power and ability, demonstrated in broken lives. I was watching a teaching by a pastor this week in another part of the country who's experiencing what we're talking about. And he gave statistics that in their church, in their services, the number of people that have been instantly delivered from drugs, instantly delivered from addictions, I mean instantly. That's not a program and those are nice. That's the power of God when that just falls off of you. suddenly the spirit of god gets in to a relationship and light comes on and things they couldn't see before are seen and it turns it around not cuz somebody said the right words the power of god demonstrates his love and that he's real let's go to um romans 15 quickly on the scriptures today but they won't hurt you paul's looking back on his ministry And he said I dare not speak of any things but which Christ has accomplished in me through the word indeed to make the no, you have verse 17 There you go Therefore I I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things that pertain to God verse 18 For I dare not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished which Christ has not accomplished me through me in word indeed to make the Gentiles obedient verse 19 In many signs signs something you can see and wonders that's a thing you know I wonder what that was by the power of the spirit so that from Jerusalem all around Iliconium I have fully preached the gospel Paul saying that unless you have a and we unless you have a demonstration of that power you've not fully preached the gospel because it's not just words this is convicting on me 1 Corinthians 4:20 for the kingdom of god is not in words 
but it's in power. I was reading, it may have been somewhere in here the other day, I was reading a, a, a statement on, on, on a wall saying, prayer doesn't so much change things as it changes us. And I got upset at that. And I couldn't figure out why. And today I was meditating on that and I saw why. I guess James doesn't understand that because James says the effectual fervent prayer of a, of a righteous man will change you a lot. No, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Prayers are designed to change things, not just to change us. The church is here not to survive, not to hold on, not to just stay here till we hold on till we get to heaven or Jesus comes back. We're here to make a difference in a world that's dying. But we can't do it with our wisdom. We can't do it with just our programs. We can't just do it with words. There has to be a demonstration that gets the world's attention one way or the other. It may not like the demonstration. Jesus was nailed to a cross because they didn't like what they saw. So where's the beef today? Where's the beef? See, the church looks like the big hamburger bun when we come to church. Wow, we got a big, we got a mega church here. We got a really big bun here. I got to be careful. We, and it looks so good, and, and our appetite, get, wow, you can see these older ladies, wow, this is a, this, we can almost share this, is so big and so juicy. But what's on the inside? What's really happening? Where's the beef? Well, there's a religious excuse for this. <laughs> and that's that the time for these things has passed. Theologians have come up with this teaching and theory that, well, that was just for the, until the church was born. It was just until we had a Bible. I was listening to an audio book the other day by one of the most famous preachers of all time. Wonderful man of God. And he was talking about Pentecost and he was talking about, about, about the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, but of course, that's not, the miracles are not for today. And I almost climbed through my car speaker. I want, you're, you're a preacher that always has, where's the scripture for that? Where's the scripture that says that was only for the beginning of the church? And others say, well, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that the gifts of the Spirit, uh, they're only there until, until, the, 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 until the, the, the fullness comes, which is the Bible. But, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and then we'll see him when it comes, we'll see him face to face. But if, the, if it's when the Bible comes, I'm, the Bible's not seeing me face to face. It's talking about when Christ comes. These miracles, the gifts of the Spirit, are needed until the real can be seen by other people in His fullness. They're called manifestations of the Spirit. And when I've taught on that, I've got to be careful, I may get off track here, but I've taught on that, what I, what, what the word manifestation triggers in me this image. A couple of years ago, with Steve and Cynthia, we went out on a whale, whale watch. And they promised you'll see Whales. And so we were out on this boat bobbing up and down, you know, because they know, they know these whales so well they have names for them. 
Now, whether that's really the whale's name or not, we don't know because that's just what they said. But anyway, we're out there. It sounded good. We're out there bobbing. And then pretty soon, you know, the, uh, the fluke, the tail of a whale breaks through and they say, yeah, there's a whale. But we never saw the entire whale. We would see a fin. We would see the flukes, the tail. But that tail, oh, that tail told you the manifestation of the tail told you what was under the water, was really there. And by that fin, you could tell what that whale was like. And the manifestations of the Spirit the demonstrate are designed to do those two things, to show you God's real and He's here. But not His fullness, but He's here. And there's a tangible demonstration to prove that God's ear and that it tells you something about God's character and nature that He cares about you. Where's the beef? So there's no scripture I've ever found that tells me that these things have passed away. In fact, well, they said, well, they needed it because of the times we're in. Well, they need to look around at the times we're in now. What it is, it's an explanation, it's an attempt to use theology to explain why something isn't happening. Maybe we need to look more at us than coming up with doctrines that explain to us why things are not where the beef is. I mean, McDonald's or whoever they were poking fun at could have said, well, you know, when we started McDonald's, we needed to have a full hamburger patty there. But we don't need a full hamburger patty anymore because you'll buy these hamburgers whether you've got a big one or not. <laughs> it's just... Theologians interpret the lack of demonstration as if it were Scripture. We take our experiences and make Scripture out of them. Uh, Mark 7, verse 13, Jesus said this. He says, you make the word of God of no effect through your traditions, which you've handed down, and many such things you do. We can, by our traditions, make the... Think of this. The word of God, by the power of which created the universe, we can make it of no effect in our lives or in our church by our traditions. There's no scripture to support this. Not only that, Jesus said the opposite. John 14, verse 12. This is, this is Jesus speaking. This isn't Pastor John. This isn't some Bible teacher. This is Jesus, the head of the church, saying these to his disciples. And he's got to begin it with most assuredly. Some older translations say, verily, verily. Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth. Now, he is truth himself. <laughs> so when he's got to say, I'm telling you the truth, it's like people come and say, well, Pastor John, to tell you the truth, it immediately makes the question, what do you do the rest of the time you're talking to me? So when Jesus has to say, because Jesus doesn't say things casually, well, well, guys, to tell you the truth, He's not saying that because he doesn't usually tell the truth. He's saying that because he's tr- what he's about to tell them is so dramatic. 
is so foreign to human thinking that he has to deliberately shake them and say, listen to this, what I'm about to tell you, this is truth. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do will he do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father, stay there a second. Well, that's the disciples. That's not what he said. He didn't say, most assuredly I say to you, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thaddeus, Matthias. No. He said, he who believes in me. Is there anyone in the room today here who believes in Jesus? He's talking to you. Then the works that I do shall he do also. We don't have time to go back this morning and look at some of these works well, he went to the cross and he said, yeah, I know the works that I do, plural. If you go back and read the Gospels and just kind of absorb what Jesus did, the two things he did more than anything else was to preach the Gospel and to heal the sick. And there are verses, Matthew has two of them, which talks about it and implies it's an ongoing process. In Matthew chapter, in chapter 4 at the end, he says, and he, he was going about... And the Greek tense is a continuous thing. In all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing all who were sick. So somehow he connected the good news of the kingdom with healing the sick. And then Matthew 9, after he does the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he comes back and it says, by, Matthew says, he doesn't limit it to, to, to Galilee. He says, and Jesus' practice was to go around teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease among the people. So the works that he did were primarily demonstrations of the power and of the love of God. Next verse. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we're seeing here that Jesus as our example walked about with power. He wasn't overcome by things unless they, it was God's will, like at the end when he submitted himself to be crucified. So if, if, if the scriptures don't support the teaching that, well, this has passed away, and Jesus told us that we're to do these works, maybe it's possible that the problem's with us. Oh, now, pastor, this is getting, you know... (laughs) Maybe we're the problem. So the question of the day is, where's the beef? So let's look at this. Everything we've seen done from 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 the vision that God gave to Ezekiel to what Jesus just said, what Paul walked in, all of this was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we're so used to saying his, his name that we forget that He's the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to say that He's the Holy Spirit. And He's demonstrating the works 
of a holy God. Maybe we're the problem. Before God can work through His people, He has to cleanse them from their unholiness. Moses needed to circumcise his sons before he could return to Egypt to deliver God's people. Jacob, who was born as a deceiver, before God changed his name to a prince and he could become the head of the, of the family, he had to wrestle with God and get out of him his tendency to take things into his own hands and God had to break that in him. John the Baptist's message was repent and he had, God had to send a message of repentance before the Messiah could come and made a way for his ministry. But the most amazing thing, oh, God had to ten- cleanse the temple we're going to talk about that in a minute. Oh, I'm ahead of myself here. Okay. Let's go to Ezekiel 43. This is part of how God gave the vision. Oh, my. Afterward, he brought me by the gate, the gate that faces towards the east. He's, this is when God is showing him through this messenger, the temple. We're going to go through this kind of quickly. Verse 2. And beheld the glory of God of the Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone in his glory. This is God coming to inhabit his, 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 his temple. But God wants to inhabit this church with his presence. Not just, oh, he's here because we're all here. His tangible presence. And it was like the appearance of a vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The vision was like the vision which I had by the river Chebar, and I fell on my face. Verse 4. And the glory of the Lord came to the, into the temple by way of the gate which faces towards the east. And the Spirit lifted me up. So he fell down and the Spirit lifted him up. Most people fall down when the Spirit comes, but here the Spirit lifted him up. That's going to be the sign God's here when people fall down and the Holy Spirit lifts them up. But okay, it's another listen. Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is the Holy God is coming into. This is the vision now. Then I heard him, go ahead. I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel, watch this, defile my holy name. So God's saying, I'm coming to this temple, to the the presence of God is going to come. And when I come, no more will the house defile my holy name. Defile means treat as ordinary. Treat us commonplace. And one of the commandments is you shall not take the name of your Lord your God in vain. And of course, as good Christians, we would never do that. But we do it all the time. Oh God. Oh my God. We're calling on Him using His name so casually because the image we have of Him is so distant and casual and we defile his holy name, Jesus. We wonder why. We first read Jesus, if you ask anything in my name. Why don't we see more power in the use of his name? Maybe we don't reverence the name enough. Nor by kings by their harlotry with the carcasses. We'll stop at the harlotry. I want to look at that a minute. Okay. Harlotry. Well, of course, we're not doing any of that. I won't. And maybe some of you are. But let's go quickly to, to James chapter 4 because there's a spiritual adultery. 
You know what? This is James writing to the church. You adulterers, boy, you think he would never have a church today. People would go post things online and go somewhere else. I want to go over there. You know, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world has enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Go on. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? Go on. But he gives more grace. Oh, that's so good news. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What's this adultery? What is adultery? Adultery is when in a, in a covenant of marriage, one or more of the parties turn to somebody outside the covenant to satisfy a need that God has only ordained within the covenant. And God looks at our relationship with Him as marriage. Paul talks about, we talked last week, Paul says, I brought you to Christ as a chaste virgin. So when we get in love with the world and the things of the world and we allow the world's things to fill our heart and draw our heart away from Him, that's a form of spiritual adultery with a holy God. When we spend more time in our life sowing into us things of this world than we do the things of God. I heard a great preacher once say, Satan's main scheme is to keep you so distracted from your devotion to Christ at your heart level. All right, we got to move on. Loving the world as our friend is like worldliness. High places, go back to, Isaiah, to Ezekiel 43. The high places where we worship other gods. I, won't, I don't have time to get really into that. And then he talks about, and you built thresholds by my thresholds. Go back a verse, let's see where it is. There you go. That's okay. I've got, to describe, I've got to summarize it. He says to the kings, and you made, you made th- doorways which was next to my doorways. In other words, you've, you've built the affair, your, your will and your plans and you've presented them as my will and my plans. And God's saying, before I can dwell in my presence in the temple, I have to cleanse the temple of these things. Where's the beef? The temple had to be... No, Jesus is our example. Quickly, Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus. Jesus is holy. But look what he had to do. Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, he just come, been baptized in the Jordan River, and the Spirit of God came down on him, and he's filled with the Spirit. Jesus, go back to verse 1. Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, verse 2 to be tempted, that word we tested, we spent a whole message on that Wednesday night, for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when they entered, he was hungry. Jesus himself had to be purified. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. But Jesus is pure, that's right. But for the first time, God was dwelling in a human body. And although his body was not like ours, it didn't have a tendency to sin, it was capable of sin. And the Spirit of God led him in the wilderness to be tested by using the devil. And there were three tests that came in him. I talked more completely about these on Wednesday night. And each one of them, Jesus was given the choice between putting God's word above his physical need for eating food, above his spiritual need. Satan presented choices to him, and each time Jesus chose 
God's will and God's way over any other way. John 7, here's the key. John 7, 15. And the Jews marveled. And how does this man who's not been trained by a rabbi, how does this man know his letters, having never studied? How does he know, have this kind of wisdom? Here's the answer. Go ahead. And Jesus answered and said to them, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, the Father's, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. For he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. I pray every time I get up here, Lord, I do not want to speak from myself and make sure that my heart is as pure towards you as it can be. And sometimes some of you make that challenging. (laughs) I'm not looking at anybody. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son, this is the Son of God, can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. Let's go quickly down to John five nineteen. Jesus answered and said, More sure, most assuredly I say, again, he's got to say that, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he sees, the, whatever he does, the, Father do, the Son does in like manner. Verse 30. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge. My judgment is righteous. Why? Because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus is Jesus saying this. I only do what I see my Father do. And I only say what I hear my Father say. His life was completely consecrated to His Father's will. I say, well, that's Jesus. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 15 is, excuse me, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, Jesus talks about what God expects of us. And He comes in John 7, Matthew 7, and says this at the end. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the will of my Father? Many of you on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we, wouldn't we do all these things in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Lawlessness is doing what I think I want to do, even if it's for God. Because what Jesus is saying there, many of you are going to say, but I did these wonderful things for you. I served you. I did all these wonderful things. And he says, I didn't know you because you see, if I'm your Lord, you only do what's my Father's will. You don't need to know what the will is. If you've made the decision, I'm only going to do my Father's will. Now, there's a process of getting there, but it starts with a commitment of our heart. So where's the beef? Where's the beef? Matthew chapter 8. Now when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. This is, this is not a Jew. 
This is not a, 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 a rabbi. This is not somebody who's been trained in the Torah. This is a Roman soldier, an officer. He came to Jesus pleading with him, saying, my, saying, Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal. Look at this. Jesus said, this, I will come and heal him. Now just listen to the dynamics here. Next verse. The centurion basically says, No. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my word roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Stay there a second. What the centurion is saying to Jesus, Jesus said, I'll come and heal you, your, your, your servant. Some translations say son. How'd you love Jesus? Say, I'll come to your house and I'll straighten out whatever's there. No, no, you don't need to come. All you need to do is say a word and my servant will be healed. Why? He's going to tell us. For I also am a man under authority. The key word in that sentence is the word also. Because he said, I'm also a man under authority. When he says also, it's because he recognizes not only am I under authority, but I recognize you, Jesus, are under authority. And why do I recognize authority? Because I say to one, go, and he goes. Notice their words. I know what authority you have because I am somebody that exercises authority also. And I, so that the sign of authority is when somebody tells you to go, you go. Or come, you come. Or do this, and my servant does it. So the measure of whether you're under authority is whether you do what you're told to do. Lafayette Skills once told me, he said, I got many pastors come to me, they want to be submitted under my apostleship. And I'll say, fine. He said, but John, I know when, that they've really done it when I tell them to do something they don't want to do or to not do something they want to do. But notice what he says. I'm also a man under authority. The centurion is able to recognize the authority of Jesus' words because he's also somebody under authority and he recognizes that Jesus is somebody under authority and therefore he's somebody in authority. You can't be in something you're not under. And I'm going to... Um, see me? Yeah. Notice Jesus equates authority because Jesus goes on to Mark. He says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Hey, disciples, gather around me. I've not seen this kind of faith in Israel. And, and they were part of that. He called the centurion's recognition of authority the same thing as faith. So we want to be a people of faith, but you can't be a person of faith unless you're under authority. I want to give you a, a, an example of this. Some of you may be wondering what this is up here for. Um, I asked Doug to hook up a hose for me because I want to I show you something. Let's see, see, see if this thing works. <laughs> it's not working, so I better... Actually, what we decided to do is I want to... I filmed a little video to give us a visual example of this. So if you could run the video, please. Pardon my dress in this video. Now we need to get the volume up. Faith Christian Center, I'm out here to water this grass and uh, ask you to come along and help me with this. Uh, 
we have got a wonderful water department here in Seekonk that provides us with a great flow of water. So that's what we're here to do. I got a, got a good spray of water here. So let's go ahead and water the water the grass. Something's wrong. Something's not not happening. I wonder what it could be. I know. I bet it's not God's will that water flow out of here to that because his will was we only needed water flowing out when we first started the grass and that's what watered it but now we just trust the natural rain to do it. Maybe that's the answer. It could be that we just, I don't have enough faith and together with me you don't have enough faith either. That's a possible answer but maybe the wise thing to do is kind of take an internal inventory and make sure we have everything that we need and it's connected the right way. So we got a, we've got a nozzle here and I know it works because I've used it before. We've got a hose, so let's let's trace the hose back and see what's maybe wrong. Oh, the faucet's not turned on. No wonder we don't have water flowing. So let's turn the faucet on. Now we got water going. All right, so let's go back. Now let's water the grass. Glad we found the problem. Oh, wait a minute, it's still not working. Something's wrong. We've got a nozzle, we've got a hose, we got water flowing, but there's nothing coming out of the hose. You better go check again. Come back here. Oh, you know, maybe, maybe this is the problem. Maybe that the hose isn't connected. All right, we got a good tight connection, and we got the faucet turned on. Let's see if maybe that solves our problem. Oh. We're already getting some action here. Let's see. Wow! Now we've got a river of living water flowing out of this house. Thank you for helping me to solve this problem. Back over to Pastor John. That's such, such common sense, isn't it? And yet when it comes to spiritual things, we'll do everything else. But look at that. As I was thinking about that, why would God turn the faucet on if the water's going to be wasted? Why would God release His power when we'll probably use it to hurt one another because of things that are still in our hearts? Why would God release the power to us when He may not be able to fully trust what we'll do with it. So easy to blame the water department. So easy to blame everything else. And notice the grass is dying for lack of water. The world around us, families around us, families in the church are drying up and dying. The church is drying up in many ways and dying. We may be here for lack of living Water. The vision that God gave Israel was he wants to flow rivers of living water out of his body to bring healing and wholeness. And it's the power of God, the life of God. But how can he release that to flow out of us when we're not connected? We're so busy with the nozzle end. We're so busy with our lives that we're not so concerned and focused on whether we're properly connected. I want to end. <laughs> During worship, I wrote this down. 
If you were out watering your grass or your flowers in this drought and the water wasn't coming out, you wouldn't just say, well, I guess it's not working. You wouldn't settle for that, would you? You've got to find it. Why is that not coming out? What's wrong with it? And you would not stop until you found out what the problem is. And how come we're willing to settle for living water not flowing out of His church and just come to church every week, just go through our lives every week, our routines? Satan's so good at getting us to focus on our problems. Oh, this is going on in my life. This isn't right. This isn't going on. What about my kids? What about my grandkids? What about this? To keep us all focused on the hose that has no power in itself when we have available to us literally living inside of you the source of rivers, Jesus said, of living water. We'll end with this scriptures. Matthew 28, 18, this is Jesus' last words to his disciples when he commissioned them. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I'm about to delegate it to you. So here's what you're supposed to do with it. You're supposed to go home and make sure the patriots win. No. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So the power, the life of God has been given to us ultimately for the purpose of bringing people to Christ. And one of the most important ways of doing this is by demonstration of the power of God. Of the, uh, baptizing them the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we'll stop at that point. And we'll end with James 4. This is, pick up, go down to James 4, we'll go to verse 7. This picks up with what we read earlier. Therefore, this is what we're to do as a result of realizing where we are. Therefore, submit to God. Come underneath the faucet. Put your life into His hands. Pastor Chris did a great job several weeks ago on surrender. God is after our hearts. I've never had Him after my heart, and I am so glad. He's after the very root of my will. He wants my will because when he has my will then he can do all kinds of things in me, for me and through me but until he has my full will he can't open the faucet fully so there may be drips coming out (laughs) drips and drabs every once in a while submit to God resist the devil Satan is out there to stop you as, as his c- total focus is to stop you from submitting to God. That's the thing he refused to do. He exalted him, tried to exalt himself to be like the Most High. And by the way, you can't resist the devil if you're not submitted to God. Because the devil doesn't have to recognize your authority. He knows you. Jesus didn't act in his own authority because he was completely submitted to the Father. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'm going. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's talking to the church. Purify your hearts. That means set your devotion on Christ above everything else. 
and, you're, and you double-minded. We're half in the world and half out of the world. We love to run and dance and shout, but lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Before God can deliver you, He has to break you. Before there's a resurrection life, there has to be a death. And God's Spirit is the only one capable of doing that. Go on, did I have more? Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So, Pastor, what's this all about? What am I supposed to do? Check your hose. Look at your life. What's coming out the end of your nozzle of your life? What's flowing out of you that's affecting other people around you? Are you overwhelmed by your life and what's going on in your life? Are you overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life and their family, the circumstances around you, and you feel overwhelmed and you feel powerless? Then most likely there's nothing coming out of the nozzle of the hose. So what we need to do is take an inventory and allow the Spirit of God to do this. Check to see whether you really are connected And notice the the, the other end of the hose that was connected had to be open. If it was clogged, a few weeks ago, where is he? Bruce was over at our house because our our drain wasn't draining in the kitchen bathroom sink. It would go down slowly, but it wouldn't flow. So he gets under there and does something that only he could do, you know, releases something, and he pulls out this glob of hair that was blocking the flow of the water. Maybe there's some glog of junk that's gotten into your heart and is accumulated that's keeping the flow of that river of life that is in you if you're a Christian. It's in you. It's not down and coming down from heaven. It's it, Jesus out of your belly, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Where is the water and why is it not flowing? Where's the beef? The commercial was intended to encourage you to not go to McDonald's or Burger King because it ends with a picture of this big hamburger with the, with the meat patty hanging out the sides of the bun. And that's what God has intended the church to be. Let's pray. Father, we're living in desperate times, but no one knows that more than you do. And you've put us here for such a time as this. And it has to begin with your church. It has to begin with your people. If your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven and you will bring healing to their land. Judgment begins with the house of God. Your judgment isn't to condemn us, but your judgment is to set us free from the things that are binding us up. 
Submission to you is to not lose ourselves, but is to gain you. You want to possess all of us because you want to bring your love, your grace, your peace, your joy, your power and authority, and fill us up with all of your fullness. But you cannot fill up places where we're holding on to. So my prayer for each one of us this morning is that you would, by your Spirit, begin to work in our hearts. And I suspect many of us you already are working in. Help us to not take for granted the little signs and things we get that, oh, I need to address that someday. So that when you show us something, we immediately go acknowledge it and start to take care of it. That we become more sensitive to your Spirit's prompting, your Spirit's light shining in the dark areas of our life. We cannot do this on our own. We can only do it under the power of your Holy Spirit. But we come to you today and say we're willing. For it is God who's at work in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with reverence for who it is that's at work in us. And we just put ourselves into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. I know the hour's late, but I really felt this was important. I know we try to keep our services down to an hour and a half. But we're, we're not talking about any more services where you just feel better, you have good service in church, and you go out and do what you... God's doing something. And we've got to be willing to have the patience to let Him do it. I told the service on Wednesday night, I just sense God has called this church. We've been here 43 years in existence, 43 years. God's brought us through many challenges, some of which should have destroyed this church. God's hand has always been here to provide and to take care of us. But it's for a purpose. It's for a purpose. And this is, this church is really not intended to be a kindergarten where you come and learn how to crayon and how to not hit your brother or sister and to take your nap and then go out and play in the and in, 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 we're all different levels of maturity. God's goal here is to mature us so that we go to high school as a Christian. And we graduate from high school and then go on to college or university as a Christian. And then maybe even graduate school for some of you. Because in those higher grades you get challenged. Our granddaughter's about to go to college and I was explaining to her, it's very different in college. They don't organize your schedule for you. You either show up or you don't show up. Uh, you, you're on, you're, you take responsibility for yourself in college. And I know she's a very responsible person. She'll do well. But we're, we're getting to that place where God's expecting us to take the responsibility that He knows that we know. And it's because God loves us. Because He's a Father. And He sees what's in you. He knows what He's put in you. And he sees how you're struggling and suffering by this world, chewing you up and overwhelming you. And he has the answer for you inside of you. So he's not angry. He's trying to set us free and deliver us if we will listen and if we're willing to cooperate. I want to close the service in just a a moment. But before we do, we always want to give an opportunity to anyone who's here or watching online if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you need to do that. I was raised in church, as many of you were.
And I was taught to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I was taught to believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world. But I discovered that the devil believes he's the Son of God. (laughs) The devil believes he dies for the sins of the world. He doesn't care whether you believe that or not. What he doesn't want you to do is to ask this Jesus Christ into your life as the one who paid for your sins. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I realized I needed to personally invite Christ into my life and receive him as the one that paid for my sins. It wasn't enough to believe he paid for sins. I had to receive him in my life. If you've never done that, I want to help you this morning by leading you in a very simple prayer online or here with us. So here's what I want to do. If you're here this morning, first of all, and you've never done that and you need to do that, I want to pray for you, but I need you to let me know by raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. We're not, this is not, if, if I were to embarrass you, I guarantee you five seconds in heaven and you wouldn't care. And five seconds in hell, you'd give anything to be embarrassed. I'm going to wait another moment. All right. Here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in a prayer, all of us here and those watching online. Don't worry about whether you kneel or stand. What's important is that you be as sincere as you can. So repeat this with me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it. Jesus, come into my life as my Savior, and I take my life as it is right now, and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit, and I will live strong, that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you're watching online and you prayed that with me either for the first time or maybe you made a recommitment of your life, there's a phone number at the bottom of your screen. If you'll call that phone number tomorrow morning, a live person will answer and we want to send you some free material to give you a better understanding of what you've done today. And if you have needs for prayer, they'd be very happy to pray with you. If you're here today and you just didn't have the boldness to raise your hand but you know you should have, When we dismiss in just a minute, we have some wonderful ladies over here that would love to to give you the same materials that we're offering to the people online. And if you need prayer, they'd be happy to pray for you. So let's stand now. Thank you again for your attention. My intention next week is to minister on the baptism of the Holy Spirit because there, there are a number of people here that believe in it, but you've never experienced it. And the rivers of living water talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit out of you. So we're going to spend a service where we teach a little bit about it and then going to give you a, we're going to pray for you and give you an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit as Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wednesday night, Pastor Michael's week, going to be ministering to us. So we're going to...